Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for another day, another morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time it is that this teaching is being listened to. Thank you that we get the chance to go yet one more step into your word. Thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for all that we have started to learn about the body, about how we should see ourselves, about how we should treat ourselves. Thank you for the many practical applications this brings. Thank you for what we are set to cover today. Um, issues on marriage and remarriage and divorce and all the baggage that comes with a topic this sensitive. And I just pray for clarity. I pray that the truth in your word shines brightly. I pray that we're able to apply this to our own lives, but also counsel others with the wisdom that's found in your word. I pray that there's no confusion, that you are glorified via the teaching of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everyone here. Um, glad to see we're doing well. That's, that's awesome. Um, today we're going... Today's first journey through 1 Corinthians part 7. Um, fortunately, we're in chapter 7. All right, that doesn't happen often. <laughs> but we might not end chapter 7 today. I was preparing my notes and I realized that there is a lot to cover on this topic. And um, I really want to do as much justice as I can um, to this issue for many reasons. And we're going to look through that. Um, what was ironic, I remember, I think first of all, for those who at least um, have an idea of things that go on in Nigeria, um, I think last week, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, um, a very popular minister of, of, of the gospel, of a worship minister, um, was, was killed, right, due to domestic abuse. And that was terrible, and that definitely sparked a lot of response and rightly so from the christian community to remind people about the dangers of um certain how certain misconceptions about the marital institution can really wreck a person um and a lot of other issues related to domestic abuse and, and all of that um not only that i remember i think on thursday I think it was Thursday, right, that um, even Pastor Emmanuel Aaron, um, of which many people here um, attend that church, also talked about it. I remember seeing the post and I'm like, wow, okay. This is the second time that, although I haven't listened to it, but I'm guessing, I don't know, if it's similar, I'll find out after today's teaching. <laughs> but it's the same Bible, so I hope so. Um, <laughs> um, just to address the issue of marriage and divorce and all these things because um as we're going to see or in fact before we start to even see what the bible says the idea of marriage and discussions around it are already a big deal right for many reasons number one many situations are peculiar to that marriage at the end of the day a marriage is two different people trying to do life together and that comes with a whole lot of complexities. And so when you're dealing with many marital issues, yes, there might be blanket principles that apply, but there are certain times where you have to look at the marriage 
as what it is two individual people that no one else is like um trying to do life together and that brings a lot of peculiarities and we're going to see the wisdom of god handle that why you would see that there aren't so many specifics as you as a lot of people or maybe christian circles think they are that divorce is bad bam <laughs> i don't care what is going on i don't care divorce is bad unless it's adultery and they're like okay so why that anyways we're going to get there but there's a lot of peculiarities and so you can't just make some blanket assumptions um, even though they are guiding principles under the right conditions there is and we're going to see paul realize that it takes the wisdom of god to apply a lot of principles correctly not only that another thing that makes the discussion about marriage a big deal is that emotions are involved right no human relationship potentially involves more of your emotions than marriage and so when things start to go off right it's it's more than just oh what does the word say in this one there's a lot of hurt you imagine having children in the mix it brings a whole more lot more complexity if it's something that has to it's dividing families it brings even more complexity if if there's physical hurt that's that's even like way up there but because emotions are involved i mean every one of us by experience i believe you've probably maybe been in a relationship or let's say you've liked someone before and i remember there's one joke in college that usually like all every brother every believing brother i've talked to right especially those in ministry there was one peculiar experience common to all of them they say it's common to all man no temptation is 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 is, is peculiar to to is that when they were at a point where they felt they they liked someone or they considered going to, and going into a relationship one common thing in their of course in, in, in out of a right heart right is to ask god god if this is your will <laughs> If it's if it's your will that I should be with this lady, Lord, I look when I see her face. That's not <laughs> if it's your will, um, let it work or something like keep the desire. But if it's not, take the desires out or all those those things. I'm sure many of us here have probably prayed it. Well, let me know, God, if it's your will. Um, and what the response almost always is is silence. You don't hear anything. <laughs> you don't hear anything. Um, Maybe a few times, God, like, I don't want you to. Very rarely, actually. I've hardly heard many cases of people that say, God said, don't. Very rarely. Many times, like, God left you an hour. Do what you want to do, in a sense. But more so, I think there's wisdom to it because we realize the emotional challenge. The moment your emotions start to get invested, it can get pretty difficult to discern the voice of God. And that's why you'd see great ministers all through history of great believers and then maritally it just seems to go wrong and you're like ah it's not that they don't love the lord they do it's not that they are not praying they probably are but for whatever reason in this one area their emotions were so strong that they failed to discern the voice of god or they failed to discern the will of god at every point in time and i'm sure we can all relate to that on some level on some level another reason that this whole discussion about marriage is a big deal is because like i said earlier it has to do with two individuals that both have free will 
And so, unlike many other areas where um, it's largely what you alone should like, don't be angry, walk in the spirit, just maybe you and God, or maybe just you and people around. And yes, there's still some level of complexity, but they're not leaving your house. <laughs> They are not doing life with you on a daily basis. And so when you take two people, two imperfect people, yes, they try, they love the Lord and they're both trying to walk in the spirit by the help of the spirit. But then it comes with certain complexities because you, you're very, you're made very well aware of the limitations of your partner. You're made very well aware of their weaknesses. There'll be times when things might not look the way you think and so it brings with that at least if it was someone in the outside or if someone at work offends me i can easily manage that at least i'm not you're not going to follow me home <laughs> all right if someone on the street let's say you you went to bite and someone was rude to you you can at least you can even walk in the street because you're going to live there but what happens when the person that you're going to go to bed at night that even when you want to be alone they are probably there <laughs> What happens when they are the ones causing the problem? It becomes very tricky. And so we start to see why marital issues, right, have always been a big deal before Christ, after Christ, until Christ returns. The church, one of the biggest things the church will constantly deal with in its community is the relationship between the man and the woman. It's a very big deal. And that's why everywhere Paul describes what a spirit-filled community looks like, he always starts with what? Men and um, husbands and wives. Always. Because that's, it's the biggest, it has the biggest implications. Because if, at the end of the day, what is society? It's literally just a group of families. What is the church? It's literally a group of families. And so if things go wrong on the family level, they were going to see, or let's on the marriage level, it's going to affect the kids. It's going to affect the society at large. So it's a big deal, right? It's a very big deal. And of course, these Corinthian people that have already struggled with many other things, how will they not struggle with marriage? Is it possible? <laughs> so today we're going into 1 Corinthians 7. Last week, or in 1 Corinthians 6, for those like our guests, no guests, no, for some people that can listen to this at once <laughs> let me tease them a bit it might not be last week it might be just two hours ago you listened to first Corinthians so not last week last time right on first Corinthians 6 we talked about lawsuits um, against believers and sexual immorality I think we did five and six actually so we also talked about we talked about sexual immorality in general how the church should respond to um a believer who continuously and willfully engages in sin, how should that be handled? We looked at how should the church handle disagreements within its members and what to do before taking issues outside the church. We've looked at the dangers of sexual immorality and today we're going to just spend time. Today and potentially next week, right? Um, I'll keep everyone posted. We might not be meeting next week. I'm going for... Um, a three-day retreat or crusade. Retreat makes it personal. A three-day program. So I might, we might not, but mostly I'm going to make sure, I'll try my best, especially if we don't finish today. I don't want to resume this two weeks' time. So we'll probably meet next week, but I'll confirm. Um, 
What was I saying? So yes, First Corinthians 7, we're going to spend some time on the issue of marriage. Um, of course, it might not be totally exhaustive. I'm going to do my best to handle things that are not included in this chapter as well on the issue of marriage in general. My goal is that by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 8, which is a completely different topic about food offered to idols and then bearing with Christians in love, we should have had a, a, a decent understanding of what God has to say about the marital union. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about how to get along with your spouse. I'm not giving relationship advice. I'm simply giving principles from God's word about how to protect or handle the marital institution. And those are two different things. Um, of course, we've talked a bit about the actual how-to in Ephesians 5 and whatnot, but let's 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 I just want to make that clear. Um, so some of the things I want us to talk about by uh, that by the end of this chapter I hope to have addressed is first of all an overview of the marital union in general, right? Man and woman, what exactly is marriage? Um the whole Christ and the church analogy, what does that look like? Why is marriage such a big deal? Why is sex only within marriage? Why? Why? <laughs> Why did God do it that way? We're going to talk about things like, when is divorce ever okay? And if it is, when? Um, we're going to look at Jesus' statements about sexual immorality. What does that look like? Um... We're going to look at when is remarriage okay, if at all it is. All right, is it after the husband has died or the wife has died? Can you remarry before then? Are you sinning? <laughs> Should you hold yourself and say, ah, this guy has refused to die. God, kill him. <laughs> kill him, please. I need to remarry. <laughs> We're going to talk about what about abuse? What about um, abandonment, right? If someone wakes up one day and just leaves wife and kids should they wait till they they receive a news in cnn reporting live this guy has just been shot he said god thank you now i can marry is that is that what happens um we're going to look at things like okay what if you've remarried but then you came to your senses what then happens should you divorce and go and marry before my guy what does that look like um, and like I said, we're going to see why there aren't clear instructions. Many times we're like, why isn't, why didn't Jesus say, when this happens, do this. When this happens, and we're going to see why. We're going to see why. Paul tells us why. And then I'm going to take questions. So we might not get through all of this on this list today, but by the end of this chapter, I hope to have addressed every single one of this. And I'm going to take questions today and next week as well. Um, so that we have a very good idea of how God views the marital institution and how believers can protect it or uphold it in a way that truly reflects the love of Christ. Um, because these are things that some people struggle with. Um, I mean, I might crack jokes today, but it's still a very, very sensitive issue, especially for people who are going through the brunt of marital disagreements tensions in marriage an abusive husband or an alcoholic or a drunkard or a gambler or alcoholic is a drunkard a gambler or something um what do they do oh well, my children aren't growing up in a good environment what, what should i do um how can a god who claims to love me enough to die for me tell me to stay 
in this kind of, of environment? What should I do? Um, so they are very deep issues and that's why it's not really the easiest to discuss. And that is actually why they're unclear instructions because believe it or not, God has left certain things for the wisdom of the church to apply for peculiar situations. And we're going to see that today. Um, all right. First Corinthians 7 verse 1. Let's get into the word. Um, as usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. Get your notepads, get your Bibles. We're moving on to issue. Issue, what are we? We've done division in the body. We've done um, uh, unrepentant sin. We've done legal disputes or disputes in general. And we've technically done sexual immorality. So today, the next issue is marriage. As usual, we're going to see are there theological perspectives? And then what are the practical applications? Actually, for this part, it's kind of like mixed. But it's more practical applications than even a theological perspective, if anything. Um, because the theological perspective, Paul already assumes, like every believer ought to know what the marital union is. Yes, it might be going bad, but that's that's a that's an exception. Like that is not the normal. That's an abnormal marriage. The ideal marriage. What does it look like to God? Why is it such a big deal? Um, of course, um, <laughs> when we talk about the marital union, everywhere in the Bible, it is always man and woman. I think we should just start from there, just so, just to clear any any doubts it is man and woman all right ephesians 5 man and woman first corinthians 7 like we're going to see today man and woman some people say oh but jesus never said anything about the genders of the people getting into a marriage is that exactly true i think anyone that says that is being very evasive because there are a lot of things in quote just didn't directly say like you're not going to find just in anywhere saying that masturbation is a sin or is it so people would ask is it then a sin um but then jesus recognizing the authority of the jewish scripture said it that in the beginning it was not so right that singular phrase already shows that Jesus's perspective to the marital union is based off what we see in the beginning. And so Jesus's view on marriage is strongly rooted in the beginning. So that already rules out a lot of things because it therefore shows that in the eyes of Jesus, the marital union is, is shown with what we see in Adam and Eve at the beginning. We're going to go there, where it says that um, um, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh. So what do we see about man and woman in the beginning? Let's go. Genesis 1. Like I said, today, if we have not been doing Bible study, <laughs> today is Bible study. Well, I'm just joking. Every day is Bible study. Every Saturday is Bible study. Um, Genesis 1, right? Verse 26, very popular. Hi, me, me, hi, Anne. It says, God said, let us make man in our image. 
of course by man it means mankind right let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god made man or mankind in his own image verse 27 in the image of god he created them male and female he created them he blessed them and said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth verse 28 subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth so this is literally the institution the creation and the giving of function to mankind and here we don't see any distinctions right everything god says he says to the man and the woman both the man and the woman are in the image of god both the man and the woman were expected to rule the earth on god's behalf both the man and the woman were created in the image of god and so as pertaining to identity and worth we see that there is no distinction between the man and the woman i believe that's clear all right thumbs up if that's i I believe that should be fairly clear everything here is what a them in in let them he created them he said to them all right so that's the first thing i want us to actually even just get out of the way that as pertaining to the marital institution first and foremost it is not a greater and a lesser that are coming together it is two people equal in identity and worth that's the first thing that's the first thing society might not always reflect that even christian societies might not always reflect that but as pertaining to the identity of the people involved they are people who in the eyes of god have equal worth and are both in his image amen now let's move into genesis 2 something interesting happens when we then go into genesis 2 here we see god establishing the first um king priest humans who will be the prototype for what he wants to do through all of humanity he creates a garden and sets them in the garden there's a lot to say about that but we're going to just sidestep that and focus on the issues of man and woman today but we see him set up in genesis 2 the man not mankind not man and woman the man right adam adama from the ground right and then he gives specific duties first of all to adam what is what are his duties um he he called him to name animals to kind of symbolize the fact that there was authority over them he says in verse 20 in verse 19 genesis 2 verse 19 whatever adam called each living creature that was its name that was its name to kind of show so this was adam stepping into his priestly duties of being god's image or god's representative on the earth that's literally what the word image means the word selim it's the same word for like an idol 
It's literally the representation of something, right? So we're made to be God's representatives. And so we see Adam starting in that role. But then you ask, I thought the previous chapter just said it was something that both man and woman were to do. Of course, it was. So let's see verse 18. It says what? And God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. A very, very abused portion of scripture. People read that word helper and they think of house help. (laughs) There's a difference between help and house help. (laughs) There's a big difference, guys. Um, People think of the word helper and they think of, um, you can do a lot of things on your own, but you just need help with some few things. That is not the idea here at all. Generally, the word doesn't necessarily even mean that the person helping you is less. It's the word Aza in the Hebrew. Do you know a familiar word that has Aza? Ebenezer, God my help. It's the same word right, that was applied to God. God my help. Is God your house help? <laughs> Is God your subordinate? Not necessarily. So let's be careful, right? Let's be very careful. It simply says a help. A help. It was a word that was also used, let's say an army is, is, is struggling in war and then reinforcements arrive. It, there's nothing in those reinforcements that suggests that they're house helps. or they're, It's help. It is help. It is help. All right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Is that clear? So it's the word Azad. Psalm 33 verse 20. Our soul waiteth on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. It's the same word. He's our Ezra or Aza. I don't know. <laughs> our help and our shield. Same thing. Psalm 115 verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and thy shield. Amen. I would lift up my eyes to the hills from what comment what? My help. My help comes from the Lord. So it was even used many times to describe God coming to assist a man or humanity in times of trouble. And nothing there by default means that the person helping is inferior to the person being helped. Amen. First point. Let's go on. However, it then goes on to say, Um, But for Adam, there was not a help comparable to him. There was not a help comparable or meet for him. Meet for him. So it doesn't just say it's a help. It's a help that is meet for him. Now, what is that word? Um, I think, I can't remember some other translations. I think a helper suitable for him. All right, suitable for him. It's the word... Neged in the Greek. I'm sorry, in the Hebrew. I'm so used to the Greek. N-E-H-G-H-E-D. And what does it mean? (laughs) What does it mean? It's simply, it's usually used to refer to the side of something. So like maybe the side of a house or like the side of a hill, right? In in, um, the Hebrew dictionary I use, it says it's the opposite part of something or a counterpart or it's used like something 
against something. So if I say, um, um, we're, going to, we're going to hike up this hill and we're going to go on the other side. That's the negative. It's the other side of it, right? And that's the idea. You can see, you can see um, usages of the word. Let me, let me look for, for some that, that would probably help. I want to give as many um, verses as I possibly can. First Chronicles 5 verse 11. First Chronicles 5:11. The children of God dwelt over against them in the land of Bashan unto Salka. So it's like they they dwelt on the other side. So it's like your neighbor, right? It's the word the word against is the word negative in that in that in that text, right? They just lived on the other side. Um, um, many other places it's called before. So something in front of you. Right where you like you're standing and you can see something in front of you. Um, we see it. We see some of its usages in Deuteronomy 30, 31 verse eleven. It says, "When all Israel has come to appear before thee, the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, you shall read the law before all Israel in their hearing." It's the word neged. All right, and so if it's applied to humans. Right. If it's applied to humans in this text, it refers to a help that is comparably or like what you might call your counterpart. Right. And so that's the idea. Nothing yet has suggested any act of inferiority. I just want to keep highlighting that. Right. There's nothing that suggests inferiority. In fact, in marriage, ideally, there should be nothing that suggests inferiority. There could be differences of roles. But there's, that is not inferiority, right? So that's why I'm making it very clear. Um, people say, you're just my helper. You're my helper. You're not in my... <laughs> and they're like, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, so let's, <laughs> let's go on. Verse 20, 20. It says, Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him or suitable for him. Then it says, then God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib with which God had taken from man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. First of all, just passing comment. <laughs> passing comment. Um, when it says he fell into a deep sleep. A lot of theologians, and I largely agree with them, this is the same words that happen when a person goes into a vision. So Joseph, oh sorry, Jacob fell into a deep sleep and then he saw the um, the angels ascending and descending. Abraham fell into a deep sleep and God talked to him. Genesis 15 verse 12, right? Um, Job 4 verse Thirteen, Job 4 verse 13 it says in disquieting thoughts and visions of the night when deep sleep fall upon men fear came upon me and trembling so some people again it's still a back and forth and it really doesn't mean much I hope it doesn't but like so what is probably happening here is that Adam is having a vision of what is going on um don't worry you don't have to take that away from today's study it's not compulsory um but i just wanted to throw that out there um but then the idea there is that out of man god 
made the woman. And in fact, verse 23, it says, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Aw, Adam, you're so cute. <laughs> I found my missing rib. Aw. <laughs> she shall be called woman. She shall be called woman. Because, right? She was taken out of man. And it says, therefore, a man and shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the idea is that she was taken out of you, and in marriage, you are joined back again. Remember, I told you it's like the side, a house. Imagine if your house has three walls, but one side is missing. <laughs> All right, that's the idea, the side of the house. And so from Genesis 2, we already see an idea that if um, ideally God's plan for humanity, and this is generic because there are many people that don't get married. So I don't want you to think that if a person doesn't get married, he's missing his neged or he, <laughs> he has missed, he's missing a rib. No, this is a description of, again, God establishing the first humans as prototypes for the function of humanity as a whole. And what does that look like? It looks like a man partnering with a woman, right? That's what it is. A man partnering with a woman to be all that God has called humanity to be, which is to what? To exercise dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, and to rule the world on God's behalf. Simple. Simple. That is marriage. In the beginning, a man a woman god didn't make man from man's rib <laughs> it is a adam you need a companion let me give you this is adam and eve not adam and steve but it's cliche but it's true right <laughs> it's true it's eve god gave so a man and his wife so this is jesus's perspective on marriage that when a person gets married or when two people get married it is literally them coming together as one. The idea of you are coming together as one to function as a unit and live out God's purposes for humanity. That is biblical marriage. Now I've said that nothing yet in the word helper or suitable suggests any idea of inferiority. That is true. That is very true. But can we see distinctions of roles in the text? The answer is yes. Right? How do we see some of this? And we're going to corroborate it with um, um, the, the New Testament as well. Um, it says what? So what we see in the garden is, first of all, who does God give the instructions to? To the man. So if Eve was to know about the instructions, how will it happen? He would have to tell her. And in fact, sometimes people say he probably didn't do a good job because when the serpent came, she was like, we should not eat or touch. And like, who sent you? They say you should not touch it. Go and touch it. Something like that. But anyways, that's, I don't want to get into that. That's not even my discussion for today. But we see who did the naming before even she came on the scene. Adam had already started functioning in a certain capacity. Right when they both messed up in fact you would think 
that God would first and foremost call the woman because she was the one that first ate and even gave to the husband to eat. But who did God call? He called Adam. He called, if I was even in Adam's shiny way that he said, ah, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> Is this is this person you gave me? As if God is a fool. He says, the person you gave me. Kai, sin can make you do stupid things. But uh, um, he held Adam first and foremost. Um, um, responsible first and foremost. And so you already start to see that it seems as though, even though, yes, we've established that they are equal in identity, equal in um in um in worth right even though none is inferior to the other but for the sake of order we're already starting to see that there is a sense that there is a larger responsibility on one than the other and that is what that is that is where some people either ignore altogether or abuse terribly terribly like i said nothing about leadership suggests inferiority on either parties nothing right jesus said if any of you wants to be the greatest says, let him serve let him serve the people you are serving are not inferior to you you are also not inferior by serving it's simply for the sake of order leadership a very beautiful example of this is in the trinity Jesus in many, many places submits to the will of the Father. Submits to the will of the Father. There is a clear sense of order in the Trinity that the Father, right, the Father is the head. The Father is the head. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see that it says that um, the Father has committed everything into the, to the hands of the Son. And then when the Son has brought everything under his control, he would hand it over to the father and that's where you see that's why it seems that in some places the father jesus would say the father and i are one and they want to stone him in some other places you say the father is greater than i and like what is going on are you one or are you greater you are missing the point you assume that because someone is leading means that they are no longer of equal worth or that the identity of one suffers to maintain that leadership role it's not true it's not true. If Jesus and the Father are both God, Jesus is not any less God because he submits to the Father, then the woman is not any less of a human. She's not any less valuable because she submits to the headship of her husband. Identity is different from order, right? It's different. So on one hand, we've established identity and worth. But on the other hand, We've seen the wisdom of God in order. And why? It makes sense because if both of you are meant to carry on activities together, the very simple way to think about it is what happens when both of you disagree. You're, you're two people. The vote is split evenly. What then happens? Do you just separate? There must be a majority vote, in quotes, <laughs> something like that. It's, it, it's, it's for the sake of order. And so it was like, oh, why was it? It could have been the woman and God could have made woman and then created man for more. It, it could have happened. It, it really could have, right? Um, like I said, nothing. And again, this is within the context of what? Marriage. It is when a man and a woman 
come together. This is not saying that you submit to every man you see, right? You 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 ask you 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 try to ask someone for directions. Ah, you're a man. Ah, please, sir. Um, you are my head. You are. <laughs> I was made from you. Can you tell me the way to get there? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Everywhere in the new they say submit to your own husband. Your own. <laughs> submit to your own husband. All right. This is specifically Genesis two. Specifically addresses the marital union. The marital union. You are not to submit to every human being. Uh, sorry, I mean, in a sense, you are to submit to every believer, but we've established that you're not to. Every man is not every woman's head. No, not at all. <laughs> all right, don't. There's also that level of abuse in a lot of highly patriarchal societies, and that's very wrong as well. But as pertaining to the marital union, in God's wisdom, He has decided that for the sake of order, one person leads the other. And it doesn't make anyone necessarily greater or um, like greater in worth or less in worth. It, it says nothing about the identity. Biden is not more of a man than I am because he's my president. Says my president. <laughs> because he's my president. Amen. <laughs> it's not. It's not anymore. It's leadership. All right. All right. Cool. Is that clear? Thumbs up. Are we still on the same page? Wow. I've not even started. Let's create that seven. But <laughs> I was still on the same page. Good. I, I want to make sure I take my time. I'm not going to rush this at all. Ayo <laughs> Yizu is. Don't, don't, is it? Don't take my president away from me. Oh, saints, can you see? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Um, where are we? Where are we? Um, I say you've not missed much. I, I guess it's people that will answer for you. But I, I hope you already know what I've said. But please listen to it if you can. Um, <laughs> uh, where am I? Yes. So, we see Paul draw um, lessons just like Jesus. We see Paul draw lessons from what has been said. From what has been said. But this is the marital union. But now let's now go into, so what does it then look like in practice? What does it look like in practice? Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. <laughs> Maybe we'll probably even start this chapter 7 today. <laughs> we will. We will. Um, verse 22. Again, we've done journey through Ephesians. I explained that Paul is is trying to paint a picture of what a community that is filled with the Spirit looks like, right? A community filled with the Spirit. What are we going to see? The very first things we saw in verse 18, um, verse 18 and 19, is that there would be a lot of singing and joy in their gatherings, right? There will be a lot of that. But not only that, there will be a lot of thanksgiving, and then in verse 21, there will be a lot of submission, humility, putting others above yourself. And he then goes to explain what that looks like practically. And so he picks the biggest um, relational examples he can find. Number one, men and women. Number two, parents and children. And number three, masters and slaves. That's what he's doing in Ephesians 5 and 6. 
he's still trying to let them know that if all of you in this church walk in the spirit we're going to see it in your marriages we're going to see it in the way you raise your kids we're going to see it in your corporate life and it's still the same thing today because that's where we spend in fact we probably spend more time at work than we spend doing anything else if you work in nine to five just minimum that's eight hours of your day right that's already one third you're probably sleeping and eating for the remaining one third and then i don't know god knows what we do with the last eight hours of our lives <laughs> but, but you spend a lot of time there and so if you're full of the spirit this is the classic christianity is more than what you do on sunday as it's it's what you do monday to friday as well or monday to saturday right and so it says what verse 22 wives submit to your own husbands so i said like i said in that when we went there there's not like our wife there's no our wife please this is my wife this is your wife (laughs) this is my husband this is your husband she's not our wife (laughs) Let's be guided. Uh, but it says, submit to your own. <laughs> she said, our wife. Your own husband. And then he gives an example. And it's not because we thought, if you read this, you think it's only just in marriage. Oh, as to the Lord, as is reflecting um, Christ and the church. But then you get to children. It says, obey your parents in the Lord. He gets to Ephesians 6 verse 5. Born servants, obey your masters as to Christ. It's not just the wife that's submitting to the husband as to the Lord. The children should submit to their parents as to the Lord. You should submit to your boss as to the Lord. Of course, in line with in line with whatever is scriptural, definitely. Don't say your boss says I should. I say, ah, I submit to you as to the Lord. Do with me what you want. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. But I want you to pay attention to what Paul is doing because we've oftentimes just read Ephesians 5 and that's the only thing. We just think, ah, marriage is the marital union that reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage is the marital, and that's true. But we, we, you can miss the point if that's all you are focusing on because this is generic to all relationships. The person submitting submits as to the Lord, right? The same thing, what does he then say to the one leading it says, um, masters, do the same thing, knowing, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master is in heaven. Your own master is in heaven. The same thing he said to the fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Then he expounded it, of course, in the man and the woman, where he said, for the man, love her as Christ loved the church. And so, what Paul is doing, he's explaining how power dynamics should work in the church. To the one who submits is as to the Lord. To the one who leads, you remember that you are accountable to God and so you are gentle. You don't take advantage of your position. That's what he's doing. So whether it's in marriage, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in your relationships at work, If you are in a position of submission, you do it as to the Lord. If you are in a position of leadership, you you don't abuse your privilege. You don't take advantage of the people you lead. You don't provoke your children. You don't say, am I not your father? (laughs) As we have often been told, are you questioning me? (laughs) 
said, Daddy, why? He said, ah, are you asking me? <laughs> you don't do that. Under my roof, exactly. You don't do that. If you're a boss, you don't, you don't act that way. You don't take advantage. Am I not your... No. And it's the same thing to the husband. You don't just act as though you are entitled. You don't do that because you remember you have a master in heaven. You remember that the people you are leading are not inferior to you in any way. And so Christ becomes the example for both the one in submission and the one leading. That's what he's doing. First and foremost, we're still going to narrow down on marriage. But I want you to realize that beyond what it's Ephesians 5, beyond just the marital context, there's a very broad application to all Christian relationships. All Christian relationships. And it makes sense, right? Because at the end of the day, that, that, those are people we relate with. How can you claim to be saved and we don't see it in the way you relate with people around you? We don't see it. And so the truth, first, first, before we bring it to, con- to marriage, every Christian relationship should reflect Christ. It's not just the marital institution. Every Christian relationship should show your understanding of Christ in the church. Every single one. Whether it's your relationship with your friends, your family, your co-workers, it should reflect Christ. So if you are leading, you lead as Christ. If you are submitting, you submit as to Christ. In any relationship. But then like I said at the start, it becomes doubly important that it's emphasized in marriage. Why? Because no other relationship is as is so close and so personal there's no greater human relationship than the marital union and so if it's going to show in anywhere it must show in this one <laughs> it must and that's why the emphasis comes and so that's why it's not wrong but understand where he's starting from he's not just starting from marriage he didn't just open marriage and say reflect that on church no it's every, it's if you have been saved, the way you relate with everyone should change. How much more your partner, how much more your wife, how much more your husband. All right? So let's go there. Let's, Ephesians 5, we're still there, B. <laughs> hope, hope, hope it's making sense. Hope it's making sense. Awesome, awesome. And this is, we've never even talked, so I just want to set this so that everything starts, it will just fall in place. It's like laying, as a wise master builder, I'm laying a foundation. <laughs> um, where are we? Yes. For the husband is the head of the wife. Right? He establishes that order. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. It is therefore, just as the church submits to Christ, let wives submit to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That word there we explain is the word paradidomi in the Greek. It means to surrender yourself. Usually it means to give over your, to put yourself in danger on behalf of the other person. <laughs> right? Uh, Delight, why are you laughing? <laughs> it means to put yourself in danger 
on behalf of the other person. And so there's an idea there that if two believers are walking in the spirit, remember Ephesians 5.18, are full of the spirit, that's the point. If a husband and a wife are full of the spirit, what would that look like? What would that look like? It would look like, first of all, they both realize their worth and their identity and there's no identity crisis where the husband is feeling threatened, the wife is feeling, no, none of that should be there because we've established that that is not what leadership means. But much more than that, we see a wife who in the wisdom of God submits to to the leadership of her husband who also should be full of the spirit of God and responds by, in a sense, um, giving up himself, putting putting the wife's interests above his pretty much every time. And when you start to think of about that, you start to realize that this whole, in quote, submission leadership game is not as toxic as a lot of people think. The only reason it seems so in the first place is because it has been abused. Many times, anyone who you see complaining about submission or leadership is not walking in the spirit. So it doesn't even, whatever they want to say already, it falls short. Because Paul starts from a community full of the spirit. So it doesn't even apply. If you can point to a toxic example of submission and leadership in it, in two spirit-filled believers, then we can start to even listen to what you have to say. Amen. Or is, is, is God toxic for leading Jesus? Is Jesus... <laughs> say, Jesus, I, 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 take that claim your rights are you not uh, we're both equal in this thing now um but anyways and so that what you then notice <laughs> go to genesis 3 maybe this would be one of the last things i'll say on the issue of the marital union and then we actually start but go to genesis 3 so in genesis 1 we see the identity and the worth of humanity established in genesis 2 we see order being put into the marital union where ideally the wife lovingly submits to the leadership of her husband the husband is not a fool he also is he's deserving um right of the submission that has been placed and he leads with love care and putting the interest of the person he's leading above himself many times we don't if you realize no one has ever had an issue with being submitted to christ (laughs) no one it doesn't it doesn't pay even guys because you say, oh, it's only women. No, men should submit to Christ, right? Everyone submits, man and woman, to the leadership of Christ. Why is it not a problem? Because we trust that he would always put our best interest first. He has proven that he loves us till the point of death. And so we are not, um, we're not scared to submit to him because we know he loves us. That is the idea. <laughs> that is how it's meant to be. Of course, men are imperfect I don't think anyone will catch a grenade for you. Yeah, yeah, through my hands. But that's exactly what, that's the word paradido me. Bruno Mars is a man of the spirit. <laughs> he gave himself up. <laughs> that is the idea, right? That you will constantly, as an apostle Bruno, Paul, Paul listened to grenade and I'm like, wow, wow. They say, what revelation is this? <laughs> I jump in front of the train. I will go through all the But yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> that's, that's the idea. <laughs> you see, no scripture is given by the inspiration of man. That's what, when he looks at the chorus of grace, he says, wow, 
every man spoke as they were moved of the Holy Ghost, including Bruno Mars. Glory to God. <laughs> um, where are we? So yes, that is that is biblical submission and leadership. Ideally, it works best when both parties are doing what they ought to do. In fact, in our relationship with Jesus, it is always us that have issues submitting. There are times where leading, Jesus leading us takes us against our will, makes us to take decisions that we might not always. But again, we always go back, at least if you are truly saved and you're growing, we always fall back to trusting him because we know he has our best interest at heart. And so if God says, oh, walk through the fire, it might not look like, ah, God, how far? If it looks like you're, you're in a season where things are not, and you're like, but God, I follow, I'm, I'm sure I'm in your will. And it just seems painful. But even then, you're still able, you find the strength, of course, by the Spirit, you find the strength to submit. Why? Because you trust in the leadership of someone who has consistently put you first. That's the idea. So for men, that is your example. That's your example. For women, that is how it's meant to look to submit again because of we live in a falling world it doesn't always play out on both parties many times and that is what is going to cause the bulk of today's i said today it's already 10 <laughs> of remarriage and divorce if we ever get to that today but then let's then go to genesis 3 this is probably what i want i, want, I don't know if you've ever seen this before but if you haven't it would blow your mind that's when you start to realize that after the fall right when God starts to tell them, or what we call curse them, and give them over to the consequences of their actions, what does he say to the husband and the wife? I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this. Genesis 3.16. It says, I'll greatly multiply... This is, he said, to the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain you shall bring for children. A lot to say about that, but this is not the place or time. But then the second phrase, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Highlight that if you've never in your Bible before. We're going to look at that. It says, because you have sinned, because you've chosen to act, to, to seize the knowledge of good and evil for yourselves, you no longer trust in my own leading on what is good and what is evil. You want to, maybe you know, what is going to look like in your marriage is that your desire would be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Many people have misused this verse. Some don't even like, I'm like, do you even know what you're saying? Some say, oh, it's sexual desire. You want to be with your husband, but you won't have your time. I'm like, are we watching K-drama? What are you talking about here? <laughs> Does that, does that look like what, what the text is saying? <laughs> oh, I really want my husband. My desire is for my husband. But it's really over. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? <laughs> I apologize, Amaka. You, had, you joined me to slander coffee. Now I shouldn't slander. I would slander anything I want to slander. <laughs> but what does that phrase mean? Your desire shall be for something and it shall rule over you. We don't have to guess. In the very next verse, the phrase is used verbatim. Let me find it. <laughs> Give me a second. Um, yes, verse 7. Genesis 4, verse 7. 
This was when Cain's, sac- um, Cain's sacrifice was refused. What did God tell him? Genesis 4 verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you don't do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. The exact same thing. Is sin saying, oh, I miss Cain. I miss Cain so much. <laughs> is, that, is that what is going on here? Do Cain and sin have, have a love hatred? No. The idea is that sin wants to seize authority over Cain. He wants to make Cain do things that probably Cain doesn't necessarily want to do. It's a, the idea of a violent... It's, it's, there's nothing cute about the desire for something in this context. Do you see that? Do you see that? And when he says you shall rule over him, he says, oh, dear, dear, don't worry, I miss you too. Uh, don't be angry. No. What does God expect Cain to do to sin? What He says, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Put it under, put it down. So when it says sin desires you, but you would rule over it, it shows that there is a power struggle there. The same way it says it, right, that the, the, um, the flesh wars against the spirit. That's the same idea. That sin is going to try to gain advantage. It's going to make you kill your brother, right? That's literally what it means. It says, what should you do? Rule over it. Put it under control. Subdue it. This is pure dominance, right? It's a, it's a power play. And think about it. That's what Jesus and God says in Genesis 3 as a consequence of the fall. That in the marital union, the wife and the husband will constantly have those power struggles. But the man will take it by force. And that's exactly what we see today. That you would not find it easy to submit anymore. He also, he would respond to that. He would, he would take assert dominance by force. And we see it. That is literally what we see today. That's what we see today. That's what we see today. It's one of the reasons, like, anyways, let me not, let me not, let me not drag that. But we see it in abuse, in many relationships. We see that power struggle. There's no, there's no love. There's no submission. There's no um, willful submission. So people say, oh, the whole submitting, loving thing came only because of the fall. No, it was corrupted because of the fall. We see submission even in Genesis 2. And that is why, if we are to be full of the Spirit, if Jesus makes all things new, what would that look like in the marriage? He's going to correct Genesis 3. Where that power struggle will no longer be there. Where the woman now submits, and the man is not ruling as it were over her, but leading and giving himself up. Do do you see that? Beautiful stuff. (laughs) Beautiful stuff. Thumbs up if it makes sense. Awesome, awesome. Are we here? Are we here? Are we here? Are we here? <laughs> wow, we're still on marriage. <laughs> good, good, good. It makes sense, correct? Yes. So we see from the beginning God's idea in marriage. What we see in the fall is a corruption of that that we have seen everywhere. You look at broken homes. You look at abusive relationships. You look at relationships where it seems like, oh, you say, oh, this person doesn't respect me. It is because of that same thing. It says, the woman's desire shall be for her husband and he shall rule over her. Both of them are messing up clearly. And if we are 
in the new cre- if we are the new creation, if we are people filled with the Spirit of God, then we reverse the course. Or in Christ, the curse of Genesis 3 has been reversed. That's why Paul goes on to say, if you're walking in the Spirit, that is gone. Amen. Amen. All right. I hope it's clear. Good. Let's take another step further in, in marriage. Um, the final thing I would say, well, second to the last. In case you're just joining and you're wondering what verse we are. What verse are we, guys? <laughs> I am verse one. Oh, verse zero, actually. I've never read the verse. I've not read verse one. We've not started. <laughs> but I... <laughs> I warned us. I, I gave ample warning. But I hope it's, it's been helpful. I hope it's been helpful. <laughs> okay. Um, um, where am I? <laughs> yes, marriage. We're still in marriage. Yeah, we're almost done. I'll, the way I'm seeing it, we're probably not going to. I'll probably just read verse 1. And then we'll pray and call it a day. So I didn't say I didn't do chapter 7 today. Let me at least, let me I did it. I did verse 1. I did verse 1. <laughs> um, and... Again, because of the nature of what marriage is and how closely tied it is with God's plan for humanity. Remember the idea there was to be fruitful and multiply, bring forth more humans who would also rule the world and represent me, make the whole earth good. All right? And then because of the fall and we're in this, as Christians, we're in this mix of Yes, the body of sin is still there, but we also have the spirit. And so we're expected to walk in the spirit, but we're not exactly perfect. And so there are some times that it is disguise. All these things start to happen. And what we now see in marriage is that perhaps if the goal of our, if one of the goals of our time on this earth, right? So one of the reasons we don't just vanish as soon as we, we got saved is so that we can grow in our walk is so that we can become more like christ from a practical perspective is so that we can learn humility learn obedience learn love right no other relationship will teach you or will test the weakness of your sinful nature than marriage i guarantee i'm not married but I can bet my life on that thing I just said. No other relationship will push you to your, to your fleshly limits. <laughs> like the marital union will. Why? Because no other relationship exposes you. <laughs> I, I would drag you. <laughs> no other. No other. So people are retweeting because they're already in relationships and they've already seen it. They're never married yet. And they say, ah, what is this, Lord? <laughs> What would happen when we're in the same bed? But <laughs> um, what was I saying? Uh, I got distracted. Yes. Um, no other, we're not in, no other human relationship brings us as close to another human being as marriage does. Right? Um, it's very easy for someone who lives alone to say, oh, I'm humble, I'm patient, I'm kind. If you, your patience has not been tested, you shouldn't really be saying you are patient. <laughs> if no one has robbed your ego the wrong way, don't be in a hurry to say you're humble. Right? That is one of the reasons the church is there. <laughs> so that we will we'll see all these things. A man on his own 
cannot claim humility. Who are you being humble to? Who are you comparing yourself with? <laughs> you can't. A man on his own can't claim to be a patient person. No one is annoying you. Unless you are not patient with yourself. That's even a problem. You say, oh, I don't, I don't get angry easily. I don't get angry easily. No one, no one is, remo- you don't have any interaction. So, of course, you don't get angry. Who's going to annoy you? But the moment you step into a community, the moment it becomes two, all those things start to happen. And I don't even marriage. Like, even some of you that have siblings, you've, you've seen some of those things, right? Or you've had roommates, just roommates. Like, ah, this guy literally ate and left the place. Who is going to wash it? And all of a sudden, <laughs> all this, I'm humble, I'm patient, I'm kind. I don't get angry easily. Flies out the window. You're like, bro, clean up after yourself. As in, am I your housemate? You go into the bathroom and then you just say like, ah, you can't even flush. And some people, they're actually not okay. I, I admit it, some people are not okay. In this world, it's like their only existence is to just keep praying. <laughs> I said, no, me, they lift it. It's the honesty for me. It's the honesty. Repent. Go and sin no more. <laughs> um, but you start to see that you are not as, our imperfections are revealed in community. That's my point. And no community is as time, right, as the marriage. And so, no other relationship will reveal your imperfections (laughs) like marriage would. Like marriage would. I like the fact that we're talking so much about marriage and like no one here is married. Most people here are not married. Maybe a few people that listen to podcasts are. And, (laughs) but it shows that you don't even... From the word alone, you can already establish some of this principle. And that's why we're about to read first. Paul is not married. And literally, the whole chapter is dedicated to married couples. So it's not about, oh, you're not married. What do you know? A believer doesn't talk that way. We don't talk that way. We've seen an example in Christ, so we can apply it. Of course, it's helpful to have experiences in the marriage for the peculiarities of certain marital issues. But generally, not necessarily. Anyways, what was I saying? Yes. No other relationship will expose your um, imperfections like marriage would. And then you think about it. If God's goal or one of the things God is doing to us as believers is to make us more like himself. And what does that look like? I think three major things. Unconditional love, grace, and mercy. What's unconditional love? Unconditional love. You love without strings. What's grace? Grace to give someone what they don't deserve what is mercy to not give someone what they deserve <laughs> right right um and so in marriage these three things are constantly being brought to the light i think it was paul washer that said something that scared me he said who is the ideal partner is that the ideal partner is the person who will make you most like jesus that is not exactly a very nice you might say oh I want to be more and more like Jesus. <laughs> you're making me more like... If someone should say you're making me more like Christ, it can, it can go both ways. He can either say you're setting such a good example and motivated, or you are constantly annoying me, <laughs> and I'm constantly needing to learn what it means to walk in love. So <laughs> if you say you're making me more like say, how, sir? Please let me know so I can change. I don't want to make you more like Christ. I want to make you more like Christ in a good way, rather. So, Porsche was like, the marital union will bring you in contact with someone who will make you most. If you are led by the Spirit of God, 
right? If you allow God to lead your decision, say God will put you with someone that will make you most like Christ. And then he went on to explain that it will be someone with whom you would have to learn unconditional love, right? Meaning you're going to be in many situations where there is no reason to love this person. This person has literally misbehaved time and time again. But she you want to be like Jesus. <laughs> you will love. You will love. Or where you learn grace, right? This person has gotten to your last nerves. If you see, you say, if I see you, I can just slap you now. <laughs> but you learn grace. You learn grace. You learn mercy. You learn to forgive. And so to the believer, the, married, the marital institution becomes one of God's greatest tools to making us like himself. To making us like himself. It becomes that institution where we see our flaws for what they are. We see that we're not really as perfect as we think. And we give God that chance to work on our hearts. The joy of marriage, if done well, is that this will be something that both of you experience together. And so you both mature with time. You both learn to be more unconditional loving or unconditionally loving. I'm correct, Tiffith, Abby. I don't study English. <laughs> you, you be more gracious to one another. You become more merciful. And so actually the Christian marriage should age like fine wine. It just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. Why? Because both of you are becoming more like Christ. Becoming more like Christ. That's the idea. That's the idea. That's the idea. That's the idea. <laughs> and finally, about marriage. <laughs> As we round up. <laughs> um... There was a phrase, or there was a quote I read from um, Joshua Harris. He wrote a book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and also Say Hello to Courtship, for those that might know the book or might not. Um, and he said, I don't think, I don't know if he was the one that came up with it, or maybe Elizabeth Elliot, I don't know. But the, the phrase was, intimacy is the reward for commitment. Intimacy is the reward for commitment. And what does that mean? It means that the way God has structured relationships in general, right? Certain joys are expected to be experienced only within certain contexts. What do I mean? I'm going to explain. So for instance, there is a commitment you make to a friend that demands a certain level of intimacy. I ought to check up on you if you are my friend. You can ex we should expect that level of intimacy. I shouldn't be checking up on the guy that I bought groceries from yesterday. I don't know his name. There's no commitment. The same way if you're my, in quotes, best friend, all right, there's a certain level of intimacy that comes with that commitment. If you're my mother, well, the, I didn't have a say in the matter. <laughs> That's why I used to abuse it. Because <laughs> I didn't choose you. If I chose you, you won't be doing like this. Or if you chose me, Sha, maybe I won't be doing like this too. So, <laughs> this stupid boy. <laughs> because I get better, happy. I'm just joking. Um, and it's the same thing in marriage, right? What we see is that the deeper the commitment, the greater the 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 
more acceptable it is to experience certain levels of intimacy right and so imagine me calling someone every day and uh, they say ah who is this it's just an acquaintance it becomes insulting if i hear i'm like ah <laughs> why because there's a certain level of intimacy that you've experienced and you have you are saying that the commitment level doesn't match it's wrong it's wrong right we see that in marriage god designed it such that the highest level of physical intimacy is bounded or guarded by the highest level of human commitment and so when we see ah why is it not sex outside marriage i was going to talk a lot about that you know i was preparing my notes and i got to verse 16 and i was like ah Daniel, this is already a lot of material. In my head, I thought we'll reach verse 16. I don't know what I was thinking. I thought we are going to reach verse 16 today. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's just verse 16. Now, we, we should be able to get past this tomorrow. And I, I tried to prepare my notes up to verse 24. <laughs> I was like, at least we'll, we'll get there. Apparently, I didn't know we're not going to start. But um, God knows all things. But yes. <laughs> so, there is a certain level of intimacy that in the wisdom of God is reserved for the marital commitment which is sex right i've never had it but i've heard it's great so i guess it's it's worth waiting for and why am i saying that i i remember this meme i don't know if you guys have seen it there's like a cartoon drawing and there's like a fence and the guy runs it's like god's rules are too strict and he runs to jump down i want to see what's on the other side that i don't like this um this um fence this barrier right and then he jumps and then he it's he finds out it's a cliff and then he falls of course it's a meme so we don't see what happens but it's most likely gonna be very injured or die and then the guy that was watching was like it's not a barrier it's not a fence it's a guardrail it's there to protect it's not there to restrict it's not there to restrict Many times we see this rule in quote about oh don't have sex before marriage and we think, ah, why, why does God, why, why doesn't God, why isn't he a fun-loving God? <laughs> why can't I have a little fun? And then you start to see, you don't even need the Bible for this. You start to see the hurts and the stories that come from premarital sexual experiences. And you're like, maybe God knew what he was doing after all. <laughs> maybe God knew what he was doing. Because you see the the amount of emotional hurts where on one party they're like oh he loves me and then he sleeps and he moves on and the the damage that comes or you start to see how um more and more you either start to objectify yourself and the opposite sex such that you can never even appreciate all the all the intimacy that comes with a sexual encounter you become more and more more and sorry less and less satisfied you can never be satisfied with one, but nobody's ever going to satisfy again. And this is not even just even premarital sex, even pornography, right? Any pursuit of sexual gratification outside the confines of marriage. You don't even need the Bible to see the effects that it's had on the world we live in today. That it's had on the world we live in today. The hurt, the separation, the 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 um the the abuse 
even STDs, right? Diseases. <laughs> like that's the reason there are so still so many sexual trauma because people keep having sex outside marriage. If everyone only slept with one person, a lot of STDs will go within within a few generations. Honestly, we see all this, all these issues more and more, and you start to realize that maybe God is not just trying to say don't have fun, but there is a wisdom to this. There is a wisdom to this. There is a wisdom to this. And so, with all that said, that is the idea of marriage. It is that that union through which originally man advances God's purposes for creation. In Christ, it's a union through which we reflect what it means to be transformed to the world. It's a union where we are even made more. We are transformed more and more and we reflect that to the world. It's a union where there is a safeguard of commitment that makes it makes intimacy a good thing, whether physical or emotional. There's no ideally it takes away that fear of what if can I truly trust all those things in the wisdom of God you can now enjoy these things for what they are. Why? Because you've done it God's way. You've done it God's way. And that is the marital union. Amen. Amen. And amen. Thumbs up if everything I've said makes sense. Good. 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 All right. So, I'm really glad to hear that. I think... That is what I want to emphasize today. It's 10.30. We're going to stop now. Next week, we're going to start. <laughs> we're going to try again. I'll start 1 Corinthians 7. Right. Now we're going to see Paul talk about certain things. So the, the annoying thing about verse 1 now is that the, it comes with so many contextual baggages that if I start it, it will be bad. Because if you just read I mean, we cannot read it. Let me just read it. It's concerning, <laughs> let me see. Um... Concerning the things you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. <laughs> if I end there, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. Um, um, but um, next week, we're going to start verse 1. And we're going to start to see in a fallen world, in an imperfect society, what are some of the things that start to happen in Christian marriages? How should we handle certain things? What should we do? What should we not do? I think just because of how much, how far we're able to go, I'll do my best to make sure that we meet next Saturday. Um, yes. Delight, you can... There's. I have a broadcast list where I send posters and everyone, anyone who's also joining for the first time, where I send posters and updates if we're meeting or not. So... Ayo, you can put my number in the chat. Just send me a text and I'll add you to that broadcast list um, so that everyone is up to date. Um, but yes, I really hope this at least starts off starts us off on a good foundation where we're able to really start to see married from God's presence. Because before we start to now go about, should I divorce? Should I remarry? Let's even understand what marriage really is. Let's see how good God intended it to be before we start to deal with what the devil has done to marriage, right? Because at the end of the day, marriage is still a good thing. It is still God's idea. And if done God's way will be the most rewarding human experience 
anyone on this earth would have. All right, so, um, or could be the most rewarding human experience because you don't have to get married. But anyways, um, could be a very reward. Let me just say very rewarding experience. So that said, any questions? Any questions? Thank you, Ayo. Any questions? I think I'm even going to listen to today's teaching as well. Because if I show you my notes and what we discussed, <laughs> it's not... I, 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 I thought I, I knew I was going to talk on this. If I kid you not, there's no, there was no Bible verse <laughs> in my notes on marriage today. <laughs> I didn't, I just wrote just a few things. I'm like, we'll just talk a bit about marriage and get right into it. But I feel this was, I don't know, this is probably how the Spirit of God led me to teach today. And I, so if you saw me sometimes hesitate, it's because I was just pulling the verses right there <laughs> on the spot. So, um, I'm glad, I'm glad we did this. I'm really glad. I'll probably have to listen to it myself to know what I said. <laughs> but um, any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? All right. No questions. We're all ready to get married. Send me your wedding eye view. <laughs> all right. Let's pray and then I'll see you guys next week. We start 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you because indeed you made all things good. It's just as it says in Genesis that you were done creating and you saw all that you had made. And indeed it was very good. Thank you because even as we approach this subject of marriage, we can come trusting in your wisdom, trusting that indeed marriage was your idea. And it is a good thing. It is a good thing. We acknowledge all that the devil has done to attack this institution because of its significance. Whether personally or whether as a society, multiple attacks on marriage. Either trying to demean the value of the marital institution. Oh, let's cohabit. Oh, it doesn't matter. We don't need to get married. Oh, we can do whatever we want before or after marriage. Whether it's by, by causing confusion to roles in marriage, where we no longer see submission, we no longer see self-sacrificing love. We acknowledge that that is the context we live in. We acknowledge that we also are flawed humans that have been saved by a gracious God. And even in our day-to-day -day experiences, are still constantly learning to walk in the Spirit. And Lord, I just pray from the depths of my heart for everyone here or anyone who would listen to this teaching. Help us to see marriage the way you see it. Help us to do marriage the way you intended it to be done. Teach us what submission looks like. Teach us what self-sacrificing love looks like. Help us to be a community of believers that indeed have been redeemed from the curse indeed have been redeemed from sin and indeed will reflect the beauty and the glory of marriage and by implication of Christ and the church to the world around us. I pray for anyone who has struggled to, to really believe or see things from your point of view, whether by growing up in 
in an abusive home or in a single parent home or whatever the case may be. And I pray that you help us to realize that we are more than the environment we grew up in. We are more than the mistakes we've made. That indeed in you there is restoration. Indeed in you we can walk in the Spirit. Indeed in you we can live above the shackles of sin, above the demands of the flesh. And I thank you for the next step in this journey as we start to explore via your word what happens when the conditions are not as you prepared it to be. I pray that these sets of teachings will bring life and truth to a world that needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, guys. I love you all. I don't know. I'm feeling very mushy now. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I trust it was a great time. I trust it was worth your time. Um, um, as always, if you have any questions, you can wait till we talk about it in the teaching. You can reach out to me personally on Instagram, on WhatsApp. I, I don't bite. <laughs> um, um, yeah, feel free to share with anyone who needs this. Many people do. Um, share with your friends, share with your family, um, invite people, and let, let God's truth prevail over lies. All right, as our custom is, Aya is already giving me I Don't worry, Aya, I didn't forget. As our custom is, we would share a benediction that was wonderfully prepared by and insisted upon by Buki and Ayo. I appreciate you both. Um, I'll share my screen. We'll take our benediction and then we call it a day. All right, I'm sure you can see the screen. Um, unmute yourself and let's read it together. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, by the word, and in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you all. Um, I will see you same time next week by God's grace. I really hope I do. So thank you all. Um, have a great week. Have a great Easter. Um, Jesus is the reason for the season. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Easter. So have a great week, guys. Yep. Um, take care. Bye. Thank you.